Plundergrounds, Episode 143, Finality in Old School Essentials Mechanics. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. As I've talked about before, every Saturday I run 5th edition for one group, and then on Sunday afternoons I run Old School Essentials for another group. And it's always interesting to compare the two experiences, not for value statements. I don't believe that one system is quote-unquote better than the other, but there are differences. And I don't really like to talk about them just in terms of what is different, but more in terms of how those differences translate into the experience at the table. And this week, one of the things I noticed about old school essentials is what I'm going to choose to call finality in the mechanics. Now, what I mean by finality is how permanent or how um, resolved a thing is after a mechanic resolves. Uh, That's really vague. So let me do a better job of explaining that. And I think the only way I can explain it is in specifics. And I'm thinking uh, about spells in particular. So some of the spells, let's take something like web in old school essentials. Uh, You cast web, there's no saving throw. You just fill an area full of webs. And then it takes uh, based on the, the strength of the person caught in the webs or the thing caught in the webs, uh, it takes some number of turns to get out. Now, um, basically anything with less than an 18 strength is going to take D4 turns to escape that web. So that's a very final mechanic, meaning that once that thing resolves, it's kind of over. There's not a lot of options for characters. Um, and then another example is sleep. Uh, once you rolled how many hit points of characters are going to go to sleep, or sorry, not how many hit points, how many hit dice of characters are going to go to sleep if you're targeting a group or an individual, then that many go uh, are knocked out. And that's just it. There's no saving throw. Um, they are knocked out and you can choose to do the coup de gras or whatever, but that resolves. And those are both very final feeling things. Now, I think that bleeds over into other areas like uh, the finality, I mean, bleeds over into other areas like the way damage is dealt, the way saving throws work, all those kind of things. But I particularly noticed it in spells. And so maybe maybe I shouldn't make that generalization and just say I'm specifically talking about finality, finality in spells. So let me compare that to 5th edition and say that the experience in 5th edition is that everything's a bit more tenuous. Uh, so if I cast web in 5th edition, there's a chance that something on its turn can break out of the web. If I cast, uh, well, maybe sleep is similar, except that sleep has a saving throw, does it not, in 5th edition? I'd have to check that out. Certainly that's come up recently, and I should know that, but I don't know it off the top of my head. But in general, I find that uh, conditions that you impose on a creature or a target in 5th edition are less permanent than they are in old school essentials. Now, there's good and bad to that, and uh, like I said, I'm not trying to assign value statements, but I do think it provides a different feel to the adventure, whereas in 5th edition, Um, You always get a chance to sort of wrestle out of things as a character. It's also true in reverse that monsters, uh, it's hard to make things stick, right? That monsters always get a chance to to essentially wrestle out of things, Um, whether it's out of mind control or out of a web or whatever. There's, it seems like things are a little bit more fleeting. And so you got to take the advantages where you can get them. 
I'll give you another example of that um, my son Max was playing a character where his combat move a lot of the times was to knock an opponent down and then get the advantage on his roll to attack. And then every turn that creature would stand up and, and deliver an attack back and Mac would ha- Max would have to knock it down again <laughs> to get his advantage. And it was kind of like back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, either one could miss the roll and make it sticky, whether he wouldn't get a chance to, you know, whether he wouldn't be able to knock down the opponent or whether the opponent um, was able to, to stay afoot um, was always up for grabs, but uh, that kind of fluidity was very apparent. Whereas I feel like in old school essentials, uh, A, there's not really much of a mechanic, uh, if any, for knocking an opponent down. But um, I feel like, uh, would that be any different? I'm not sure that'd be any different in old school essentials. (laughs) Obviously, I should have thought this out before I started talking about it. But I, I think overall, there's just a different... Things move along more quickly in old school essentials. They are less, they are less impermanent. They are more permanent, I should say. Uh, they are more final when resolved and you go to the dice a lot less. And uh, it's funny because uh, sometimes you feel like you're doing it wrong uh, because you don't use the dice as much as you do in fifth edition. And again, that's, you know, like kind of an experiential difference that isn't good or bad. It's just a preferential thing. Like maybe, maybe less is more for some people. Um, Certainly that was something that JJ said in our session that he's enjoying the less is more feeling of old school essentials. It does mean that you can stay in the fiction more uh, if, if the GM will allow you to do that. I I noticed that I particularly was having a hard time. Maybe I wasn't comfortable, but I was pointing to the dice sometimes when, uh, so I, uh, here's another difference I'll, I'll I'll mention that that is related to what I was about to say. I'm going to window out here, but um, you know, this is what I do. Uh, the GM rolls a lot more in old school essentials than they do in fifth edition. Uh, most of the roles on fifth edition are from the player side. Um, many of the roles in old school essentials are from the DM side. And one of the funny things that we decided early on was that in old school essentials, it's a lot more satisfying for the, for the DM to roll things like checks for secret doors or checks for traps and things like that, because then the character doesn't really know what the outcome of that is until it plays out in the fiction. And it also means we can stay in the fiction a lot more easily because the, the GM knows the, well, the difficulty is more preset, right? You don't usually have a lot of varying difficulties. It's just a, uh, like elves can find a secret door on a one or two. <laughs> That's just what it is. And so I just reach over, grab a D6 and drop it if the elf passes by a secret door. And I either tell them they find one or they don't. I don't even reference the die roll. I don't say, hold on just a second, let me roll a die. I just reach over and do it and we just stay in the fiction. But as a GM, sometimes I want to draw attention to that. And I think that's wrong. I probably shouldn't do that. But some it's tempting to say like, like, um, I guess I was wanting to highlight that everything that was happening the other day came out randomly because it felt like it was, it was so natural and free flowing that it felt like it was pre-planned. And I wanted them to know that like, Hey, this is all building as we play, but I don't know why it was important for them to know that. Um, I could have told them after the session. So I guess, you know, when it comes back down to it, maybe I'm again talking about dice rolls and the number of dice rolls in both systems and, uh, how it's different. And um, I think if you're a player who likes to roll dice a lot, then fifth edition is really going to be a better experience for you. Um, If you're a player that likes to stay in the fiction more to immerse and not, and if it's the thing that dice break the immersion for you, I think some people can stay immersed even while rolling mechanics and engaging with mechanics. But if you're a person who sort of needs to have the mechanics disappear a little bit so you can stay immersed, then an old school experience might be better for you. 
Um, and, and I guess that's all I had to say about that. We'll pull a Forrest Gump there and, and just bow out of the topic. <laughs> just to follow up quickly on the sleep spell, the fifth edition sleep spell indeed does not have a saving throw. You roll five D eight and that's how many hit points of creatures the spell affects. Um, you start with, uh, let's see, Creatures within 20 feet of a point you choose within a range are affected in ascending order of their current hit points. So, yes, it affects the lowest hit points creatures first and works its way up, but it's based on hit points. Now, uh, so the average there, by the way, is going to be about 22 hit points worth of creatures. The sleep in old school essentials affects 2d8 hit dice of creatures of four hit dice or lower each or one creature with four plus one hit dice. So let's just take the group um, average here and say 2d8 hit dice is, um, you know, that's going to average, let's see, five and four is going to be nine hit dice where the creatures is the average. And then um, let's assume that their hit dice are d8s. Okay. Uh, Just to, just to kind of make it in parallel with the fifth edition one, that would be almost 40 hit points or somewhere around 40 hit points. So it's almost twice as powerful as the sleep spell in fifth edition. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm not saying it again, not trying to attach value statements. It is different in that regard, but it is not different in the sense that the sleep spell in fifth edition is unusually final, um, has unusual finality for the fifth edition system. Whereas, uh, you know, many things in fifth edition have saving throws or, or reversible in the sense that you can um, undo them or get out of them or throw them off as a character or as a creature that's targeted. And, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, I think in some ways more interesting, it's a little bit more fluid, but it does make encounters go longer, uh, because of that. Like we, the group that was playing old school essentials the other day got jumped by nine bandits, uh, in an alley who was catching them on their way home from a tavern and trying to, um, <laughs> excise attacks or, uh, levy attacks against them. haha. And, um, the, the, we go by side initiative, of course, in old school essentials and the party, the player characters won the initiative and man, it was all over one, one character cast sleep, another one cast uh, web and one made an attack against the leader, which turned out to be largely irrelevant, but that came first ahead of the the spells actually uh, because of the way we do the combat sequence, which I'll talk about in another episode. I think not, not here. And uh, it was over. <laughs> They were going to take several turns to get out of the web. Those who were webbed, those who were asleep were effectively out of the action. And uh, then it became a deal where they were making fun of the gang and like taking their money. And it it turned out to be a fun little role-playing exercise, but the combat was over quickly. And I I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy both. I mean, sometimes an extended combat can be good fun too. So, but um, it can be frustrating, right? I think the other end of this is it can be frustrating if you, if you think that you're doing something to an opponent that puts them at a disadvantage and then they just quickly save or undo it, um, that can be frustrating because uh, you waste, you're wasting resources. However, you have a lot more resources to waste in fifth edition. So it's okay that not all of them come off in, in old school essentials, you know, like a first level wizard, you got one spell a day. So sleep super powerful. But once you, once you've shot that cannon off, you know, you can't reload it until the next day. <laughs> and so you kind of need it to be more final, um, more effective, right? And uh, yeah, that's, I just think it's interesting. Those are those are interesting differences. Maybe maybe it's not interesting to you. I hope it is. 
Since we have a short episode today, I think we have time for a call in. Here is Roy Luinko talking about Marvel 1602. Hey, Ray, Roy here. Just listening to episode 121, where you bring up Marvel Superheroes, Psionics Handbook, and Colonial America. At one point, you talk about combining two of these and for a moment, I thought you were going to combine the superheroes with Colonial America. I'm wondering if you have seen the graphic novel Marvel 1602. I really love some of the takes on the costuming for those characters. If, you know, they had been three or four hundred years in the past from where we are now. Anyway, you might, uh, you might enjoy having a look at that. That's a cool suggestion, uh, Roy. I really like that time period, but I'll have to say, as far as gaming goes, it's it's problematic just because of so many ugly things going on during that expansionistic and imperialistic period. Um, lots of racism and sexism to kind of avoid or, or tackle, um, and lots of potential areas there for both interesting play and problematic play. So it's a potential minefield, but you know, with no risk, no reward. Right. So, um, I've looked at some images from Marvel 1602 and I find that it looks like a, the world building and it looks quite interesting actually. Um, it's, it's an interesting idea to kind of put superheroes in other time spans because they feel like they're intrinsically, um, 20th century creations somehow. And, uh, so to, to throw them back into medieval times or colonial days or Rome or, you know, ancient Rome or whatever, uh, makes for a very interesting thing to tackle. I think, um, certainly like you put them in ancient Greece, they're going to feel more like demigods, right. Uh, than they are like what we would think of as, uh, urban crime fighters, superheroes. So cool. I think I will have a look at that and, and read through it. And if anybody else wants to join me, um, you know, go pick that up and have a look at it. I'll, I'll probably have some comments afterwards. Thanks for joining me for another Plundergrounds today. Thank you to Logan Howard for my very cool opening theme song. And until next time, look out for those rust monsters.